Is this flash in the pan? Is this sustainable? Is this going to change the internet at large? You're not relying on Amazon. You're not relying on Microsoft. You're relying on the internet as a whole to run this technology. Welcome back to a special bonus episode of SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses making a difference in our constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. When you work in the technology industry, the next big thing is always just around the corner or already under our nose. But how do we spot when something is truly transformational or if it's just an overhyped gimmick? It's a question we often ponder on this show, where we meet individuals at the cutting edge of emerging technologies like the blockchain, Web3, and NFTs. On today's bonus episode, we're revisiting the best conversations we've had with startup founders, visionaries, and all-around paradigm shifters. And we'll explore why they think the big new technology they represent is truly the next big thing and not just a bunch of buzz. Back in the summer of 2021, you couldn't spend a second online without reading about non-fungible tokens, or as the kids like to call them, NFTs. These one-of-a-kind, blockchain-based digital assets seem poised to open up new possibilities for artists and creators to monetize their work. And it gave collectors a whole new digital asset class. The hype was enormous. But our host at the time, Peter Bean, was suspicious. He knew that these three-lettered gizmos were important, but he wasn't exactly sure why or what the heck they even were. That's when he invited on the show Costa Claudianos to help him sort it all out. Costa was then the Vice President of Innovation and Technology at Canlan Sports. He gave our listeners a crystal clear picture of NFTs and how they were making a big difference in the world of sports and entertainment, the arts, and beyond. That was going to be my next question. I, I, I understand the collectibles side of this. This makes sense. Dig into that, though. How, how does this benefit things like ticketing? Right. And that's the number one thing that I was looking at, because when you issue someone a ticket, tickets can be still counterfeited. They can be printed out. They can be uh, sent in. So they're still trying to get away from it with digital ticketing, but it's still there. With the blockchain and NFT, if you issue a ticket to someone, you can track their ownership. It's identifiable to them. If they choose to sell it, you can track where it's being sold, how much it's being sold for. And if you want to get a percentage, you can absolutely get a percentage. If you don't want them to sell it, I mean, you could technically not have them sell it, but you have full control over the ticket to your event. So when they come in, you know, it's their ticket. It's not counterfeited. If it's been resold, you get a portion of that money back to you. Um, you know who it is. So you get analytics on this person. Can I upsell them? If it was gifted to someone, is this a new person that I can bring into my network and sell them, uh, you know, uh, merchandise, uh, upgrade their tickets? Uh, you know, it provides a lot of analytics to teams. So I, I've been thinking a lot about this, right? Is this flash in the pan? Is this sustainable? Is this going to change the internet at large? Do you believe that NFTs are going to shake up the way that the internet works long term or that this is something that is exploding now into many different places, but will ultimately settle into a couple, like you said, collectibles, tickets, you know, digital coin, that sort of thing? 
The internet's always evolving. And what you see when a new technology comes out, you see a lot of this excitement, a lot of the speculation, and everyone goes, uh, goes great and then you know kind of crashes and people move on to the next thing. But what happens is that the good technology and the uses, they'll take a lot of that money, and they'll take a lot of that uh, excitement, and they'll start building things that work. And there is room on the internet for a decentralized internet, which, which is what the blockchain is. It's decentralized. It, it can survive. And you're not relying on Amazon. You're not relying on Microsoft. You're relying on the internet as a whole to run this technology, which is great because now if you have control over what you want, there are a lot of things that need to be overcome first. Uh, one of the big things is the blockchain's super slow. It's um, maybe up to about 100 transactions per second. And if you think about how many transactions can be possible per second, 100 is not even close to being enough. But there are next level technologies, next level blockchains coming out that will be able to do millions or eventually hundreds of millions of transactions per second, which will get that leapfrog into that next level of innovation. The other issue is it's not very green. It takes a lot of energy to, to run and mine on the blockchain. And there are server farms up in Alaska and, and Siberia just using up a lot of energy. So there are um, technologies in the work to, to reduce that and reduce the carbon footprint because as the uses grow, the more energy will be used. And, you know, that's not going to work in the long term. So once they figure that out, I think the, you'll see um, – the innovation on the blockchain really accelerate and adoption really accelerate beyond just, you know, the collectibles and the speculative stuff to more of the, uh, the things that businesses could use. Perhaps no technology these past few years has benefited from the hype train more than the blockchain. From crypto bros to smart contracts, I don't remember hearing so much about a technology's potential since those early first days of the cloud or even the internet itself. But back in March of 2022, I had lots of questions about blockchain technology and why anyone in the business world should care about it. So I did what anyone would have done. I sat down with an expert to give me a blockchain for business crash course. Madeha Parlakar is the CTO and co-founder of Casper Labs, a company that has created what it calls the first fully decentralized, truly scalable blockchain designed for real-world speed and security. Madeha showed me how the blockchain is already transforming multiple industries, from copyright law and human resources, to supply chains and security. And if you take her word for it, we're only getting started. Casper Labs was founded explicitly to build, you know, a public open source blockchain protocol, which we did, which is known as the Casper Protocol. And we wanted to couple that open source uh, technology with a professional services company that would help businesses and enterprises adopt blockchain technology. And we saw the writing on the wall that this was going to be a new emerging technology, that it was here to stay. And we looked at the landscape and saw that a lot of the open uh permissionless blockchain protocols wouldn't meet the needs of enterprises. And so we set out to you know, explicitly solve that problem. So full disclosure, I work at a technology company on the marketing side. So my view of some of these you know, complex concepts like crypto is Bitcoin, blockchain is often heavily influenced by buzzwords, which is, is what I'm dealing with in a, in a creative aspect. You know, for my benefit and that of listeners, just to level the playing field, can you explain to me in simple, you know, no jargon terms, how you view blockchain and, and how it works? 
When you boil it all down, I see blockchain as a trust protocol. And if you think of the internet protocol as an information protocol, you know, you see lots of information being sent across the internet. If that information is passed through a blockchain, you can then trust it because it can never be changed. And it's this trust that enables cryptocurrency, because if you think, you know, in order to transact value, you need a way to inject trust into the transaction. And right now you have centralized banks that do this for us. We trust banks to store and transact funds and a public permissionless blockchain replaces this trust. And it's possible to have a blockchain without any cryptocurrency at all, but not the other way around. Can you share with us some of the, the, the coolest and more exciting use cases you've seen with your clients or in the enterprise space in general? Gosh, there's a couple of really cool use cases that we've been working on. So I'll talk about Metacask because everybody loves whiskey, right? I don't drink whiskey, but a lot of people like I've whiskey. I've heard. I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Metacask, actually, um, they sell rare whiskey casks. And they integrated with a public blockchain. They've integrated with the Casper blockchain. And they track the ownership of these rare whiskey casks, which obviously have special storage requirements, right? Um, but they allow them to be bought and traded and sold via their marketplace, right? Using auction infrastructure that was also built on Casper. And this unique auction technology allows participants to just trust the blockchain rather than any single entity. So Metacask was able to provide its customers much greater price discovery by integrating blockchain technology as well as these, you know, unique auctions that we have on Casper. Um, in the more enterprisey space, if you think about, you know, uh, talking to financial companies or any company that actually holds consumer information, you know, corporations recognize the liability they face with data leakage, right? And so personally identifiable information is a huge security risk, right? It's, and you hear all the time about, you know, consumer information being leaked onto the dark web and there's a lot of liability. And so, you know, there's a, a use case where you can actually have uh, what we call like a, a consumer qualification token, right? As an example. So a customer, a consumer goes through a qualification process, their information is collected, they're qualified by the company, and then that information is firewalled. And then internal product teams only get a token. And they can trust that token on the blockchain. If you have multiple product teams, they can see what level of qualification the customer has based on the token, and they can offer them products, goods, and services based on that token without ever having to touch their identifiable information. Right. And the security operations team can tightly lock that information down without it leaking out within the organization. And this is hugely important from a, you know, from a SOX compliance perspective, from SSAE compliance perspective. Right. Really, really having tight constraints and really limiting your risk and exposure around your customer information there is, is a huge value proposition for customers. And those are two simple examples. The music industry took a huge financial hit during the pandemic. And I'm not talking about the Beyonce's or the Bruce Springsteen's. I'm talking about the thousands of independent musicians who rely on touring and live gigs to earn a living. It's hard enough in normal times to make money in music. Add in years of lockdowns and it's practically impossible. But what if I told you that a certain Web3 technology would allow musicians to bring in years of future earnings today? In February of 2023, I met with Mark Miller, the co-founder and CEO of LabelCoin, a platform that dubs itself as the Robin Hood for music. The blockchain-powered platform lets fans invest in the next big song and allows artists to sell digital streaming royalties so they can earn their future revenue right now. 
Mark told me how blockchain is ushering a new era for the music industry, creating opportunities for artists and investors alike. And I think it's important because as a startup, you can't have failure on your mind, right? So I want you to yeah. take me from the booking agency to co-founding a startup. <laughs> what inspired the idea for LabelCoin and how did that all come about? Yeah, man, it was that like, you know, in the music industry, when Napster started, it really shook everything up, right? All of a sudden, CD sales, that was the, the, when they started to decline. And people were making tons of money off mechanical royalties, the amount that you pay every time a CD is printed, right? you know, and all those other kind of elements. And so Napster started to take the first ding into that. And then when Spotify really made it legal and mainstream, those revenue models really drop and shows be the way that you survived. And so that led into a lot of the challenges we were seeing with artists that they were having a hard time and the whole industry as a whole was trying to figure out what do we do? Like, how do we right. adjust and to this new thing? And it started swinging up, right? And I'll kind of get to that upswing, but that took us up to, you know, 2020 when it was supposed to be our first year actually being profitable as an artist agency. Mm-hmm. You know, things were looking really great, had a lot of awesome shows on the books, and then everything's canceled. Right. And, you know, colleges are pretty much the last thing to reemerge from all the intensity. Even when we did first have shows, they were putting up stanchions where the students would have to be 30 feet back from the stage. And the artist still had to wear a mask while singing into a microphone. Wow. And it's like, this makes zero sense at all. And, you know, it's going to affect the sound quality. It's not protecting anybody. There's 30 feet in between there. But, you know, that's what was being handed down by the higher ups above who, you know, one policy for everything. And so that was just, we were in that environment. It was extremely damaging. And my co-founder of my new company, LabelCoin, Chad Peterson, was on Wall Street in 2008. Mm-hmm. And he was an investment banker. And then he worked in the VC space. And he lost his job in 2008 with a lot of people and actually started a nonprofit called Wall Street Exodus to help people who had their lives devastated get back on their feet and ran that for a number of years. Uh, long story short, ends up moving to Nashville uh, to take on a CFO job for a studio. And so he's in Nashville now running other nonprofits when COVID hits, when 2020 comes. And then he sees, you know, Nashville Music City with tens of thousands of people losing their jobs, mm-hmm. losing their livelihoods. And he says, man, I don't know much about music, but this looks a whole lot like Wall Street for the music industry back in 2008. So he's like, uh, well, I could start a nonprofit. <laughs> so that's what he did. How does LabelCoin leverage Web3 technology to be the Robin Hood of music? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's definitely evolving over time from when we first began to where we are now and kind of the roadmap for all the ways we integrate. I'd say in our current iteration, we're more like a Web 2.5. Mm-hmm. And intentionally so. When we first started out, I'd been getting pretty deep into the, the crypto space. And, you know, I was mining and, and then investing it and figuring out what's the best stuff out there. And seeing all the things that people were creating, the way they're doing yields and creating their own tokens and the ICOs, I'm like, it's, it's obviously working. Like, how do we take all these different elements and apply them to this on top of all, like, just the basic economics of the music industry? Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I got... Um, Pretty quickly when we launched, brought on some excellent blockchain consultants called Rewired One. And man, they've been in the space for a number of years and built you know blockchains for governments, worked in regulation. And they just really helped steer us clear from a lot of potential landmines that ended up being proven landmines that you see everybody stepping on right now. You know, the whole crypto space, right. uh, you know, depending on when this airs, I think we're two weeks uh, into FTX's blow up and filing for bankruptcy and we know that the whole cycle of things that have been happening um, with yield. And so 
So thankfully, we avoided a lot of that. So the way that we're using blockchain technology right now is really on the transparency side specifically and the smart contracts for ease of paying out royalties. So royalties and transactions on chain and that ownership on chain showing that. But even then, it's only within our network and our app. So people will be able to buy and sell song shares, which we call notes, for those digital streaming royalties. Just because we don't spend a lot of time talking about supercomputers doesn't mean the hype isn't real. Ask any researcher working in astronomy, climate change, cybersecurity, or artificial intelligence, and they'll tell you that the work they do simply wouldn't be possible without access to giant clusters of high-performance computing machines. It doesn't matter how small or how powerful our personal devices have become, the true cutting edge of the world's computational capability continues to reside in massive, complex, and highly exclusive environments. Rutgers University is home to just such a computing cluster, one that is managed by the Office of Advanced Research Computing, or the OARC. I was lucky to meet up with Bar Von Osen, Associate Vice President of the OARC. He told me all about the awe-inspiring use cases of his New Jersey-based supercomputer, and all the inspiring work that goes on behind the scenes to make the magic happen. This conversation first aired on December 9th, 2021. I do appreciate that there's a marketing aspect to what you do here. So uh, as my mom says, I also work in computers in a very different way than you do. So uh, once you find these people and they, and they come to you guys, what, what are you helping them do? So it depends upon their area of research, right? So, um, so for a majority of the people that we have conversations with, um, most of it is around data. Data is everywhere, and and the research community is interested in looking at that data. And uh, so it could be medical data, it could be marketing data, it could be uh, digitized collections within libraries, uh, genomics data. It, it's just, uh, and it's growing at such a phenomenal rate that um, people are really struggling on how to be able to manage all that data and how to be able to do the analytics and the statistical analysis on that data. And so we spend an awful lot of time having conversations uh, with uh, several groups across the university on strategies on how to, uh, to manage that data and how to be able to do the analytics on the data. Now, with that being said, Artificial intelligence has just exploded over the last few years. And I mean, you just watch TV now, right? I mean, all of the ads, they all talk about AI this, AI that. And it's true in the, the research world, too. So um, now they're not only interested in, in you know, figuring out how to manage all that data and how to do the statistical analysis, but now they're trying to train AI systems on all that data. And, and that gets really challenging on how to, to move the data around, how to access it. You know, it's, it's, just a, it's, it's just a very challenging uh, space to be in. And so we spend quite a bit of time working with people on, on how to go through that process and what are the tools that are available and um, help people be able to get access to the tools. And, and uh, you know, the team... The part of the Office of Advanced Research Computing, the research science and the technical team, they have skills that enable them to go and have those conversations and help sort of lead people through and make decisions on what are the best um, uh, workflows to come up with in order to get their research done. 
for some of the real techies in the audience, you it just occurred to me, you must have, you know, a, a, somebody who's using more resources far and away than anybody else had previously, you know, in terms of the computing power that they need. Off the top of your head, can you recall, you know, what that project might, might entail? Certainly astronomy. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're modeling galaxies. And, uh, you know, that just takes an incredible amount. Uh, and, you know, anybody who's doing um, physics, uh, tends to uh, to take up quite a bit of, of compute time. Uh, so so astronomy, physics, th- those are huge. Uh, anybody who's doing um, uh, weather modeling, right? I mean, weather is so complex and it's gotten even more complex with the, the change in, in uh, the climate and everything's so unpredictable and the number of variables that have to be fed into these projects are just massive. And so... Um, and so for people that really need that kind of computing, uh, we actually help them get onto national uh, supercomputers that are, you know, uh, a magnitude or more uh, faster and more powerful than anything that we can provide here at Rutgers. So if, if you look at the types of jobs that we run at Rutgers, it's, it's sort of the small, the medium size, but those really, really large ones, um, we, we know um, the research labs across the country really well. We, uh, we have partnerships with them. And so when somebody uh, you know, we work with needs something that's much more powerful, then we'll help them put in an application to get access to those national resources. And so it's actually, um, it's really a nice setup because you know, we're helping people transition from the desktop into our supercomputer on campus. And then people's, you know, needs grow, the data grows, and all of a sudden, you know, they've learned everything they could possibly do on our system, and then we help them transition to the larger system. Well, that does it for this week, and that's the end of our special bonus episodes. I really hope you enjoyed this series as much as I have. It's been a pure joy to relive all these memories, and I want to thank all the guests for their time and insights. The next time you hear my voice, it will be for the launch of Season 5 of Innovation Heroes later this summer. We're coming back for our biggest and most ambitious season ever, and I can't wait for you to hear what we've been working on. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow this show wherever you get your podcast to be the first one to hear when a new episode launches. Until then, you've been listening to SHI's Innovation Heroes, and I'm your host, Ed McNamara.